It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation. What's happening? What's good? It's your boy, Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Locked On Rams. I'm excited about today's show. Typically, Wednesday, we're going to do crossovers, so I figured might as well cross it over with the NFL. So we have Matt Williamson on with us from Locked On NFL. If you guys haven't heard Matt on the show before, he comes from tons of football background, amazing experience, scout both in college and NFL, as well as an analyst for ESPN for over 10 years. He's now the co-host of Locked On NFL. Matt, welcome in. How you doing, bud? I'm great, dude. How are you? Oh, I'm doing awesome, and this is Good. the time of the year where we start to reflect. We also look forward, and a lot of opinions get out, and I, that's what I want to talk to you today a little bit about the Rams in 2020, their new coaching staff, as well as some directions that they should do, whether that's uh, you know cutting some pieces on the team now or uh, looking in the draft to fill some roles. So we'll have a great chat today about all that stuff. Uh, so with that, you know, might as well just get right into it. I'm Bear Motter of Lockdown Rams. I'm joined by Matt Williamson of Lockdown NFL, and this is your lead story. Matt, so many different takes are being made out there uh, as the Rams are coming into this 2020 season. Who do they need to trade? How much cap they don't have? Uh, did they bring in the right coaches? When you look at the Rams, at what do you see heading into this 2020 season? They're an interesting team, and I think as a big picture they're more influenced by the city they play in than maybe other any other team in the league. And I mean this from a roster-building perspective in that they are so star-heavy. It reminds me as a kid watching Magic and Kareem and Worthy and, you know, the Showtime Lakers. And to compete with all that goes on in L.A., I think the Rams need guys that you want to buy their jersey. I mean, you want star power, and they brought in a lot of guys via trade. They're going to go several years in a row without a first-round pick, um, keeping their own, Aaron Donald, that they become very top-heavy, Jalen Ramsey. What's interesting, they tend to have a lot of picks, you know, not necessarily high picks, but they tend to make – uh, I mean, in the last 17 drafts, I just pulled this little stat up. In the past 17 drafts, they've averaged just under nine picks a draft. I mean, so they're bringing in a lot of rookies, but they're also very top-heavy in terms of where their money goes to. So in a way, they're kind of a team without a middle class. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it, and it is kind of fascinating because with how many picks the Rams have given away uh, in the recent years, being those top high-end picks, you're right. They've found a way to uh, compile a good list in that you know, late second round, third, fourth, fifth round, and then made those picks worth mm-hmm. it. I mean, especially with you're talking about the contracts, they kind of have to, but it's interesting. They've been doing this since they got here in L.A., talking about moving up for Jared Goff, that big, splashy L.A. move to go get the number Absolutely. one pick. Um, so you're right. You, a very good take there as far as, uh, they're fitting into their market as far as this Hollywood, the big stars 
and that's definitely the direction they've gone. But if you look at their coaching staff, and that was one of the things, uh, they, it's not the big star names, right? They brought in Kevin O'Connell and Brandon Staley, uh, some two young and up-and-coming guys. Do you think the Rams made the right hires there, um, or do you think they should have maybe gone with someone, like you said, that star-studded, more experience? Uh, thoughts on the new coaching staff that they brought in? I'm not avoiding your question one bit, but one of the hardest things in our job is evaluating up and coming assistant coaches. You know, I mean, I've been in the building with these guys at the college and pro level and much of what great assistant coaches do, the general public doesn't see. And it would be really hard to evaluate the real value of these guys. But what my take was with these moves was, I don't want to compare it to Belichick, but I want to compare it to a lot of the big name coaches that have, more or less ultimate power in that this is truly McVay's team now. I mean, that there's no doubt of who the man is in the building now. And not that he was not the head coach before and they went to the Super Bowl, obviously, but I thought that he and the Rams were so smart when they hired McVay. He was so unbelievably young that, hey, you concentrate on the offense. We're going to have this all-time great defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips. He's going to handle the defensive side of the ball. We're going to make your job as a new coach, easier. And now I think it's, hey, I've been on the job for a while. I am a bright young mind. I can handle the total, you know, uh, I can be the czar of the Rams. And I think he absolutely can, you know. So that was my take on where they're going with the coaching moves. Uh, very good points. And you're right, you know, kind of seeing that this is now on McVay and you know, as as great as the experience was having Wade Phillips here and Bones, you know, the experience that they brought. But mm -hmm. that was kind of the, uh, the the gap years to get Sean to where he felt comfortable to go and make these moves. So I'm with you. This is going to be a big year for McVay. If this thing goes great, he looks amazing. If this thing goes bad, all of a sudden the spotlight might start to come on him, which it hasn't been so much sure. over the past year. I mean, one down year compared to what he's done here. Uh, it's tough to kind of really throw him under the bus. But if you start to see that trend going and he put himself out there, it could get interesting. So uh, what we'll do is we'll continue on with Matt Williamson. Got a couple more questions about these coordinators, and then we'll start to look at some of the other options happening here in the offseason. And as we're talking about offseason, there's definitely one area of your life that doesn't have an offseason, and that is your activity in the bedroom. Let's go, people. No offseason, no downtime. It is time to perform, and I've got... Just the thing for you, it is Blue Chew. All you got to do is go to bluechew.com. This isn't for guys that just can't perform. This is for everybody. If you're looking for an extra boost in the bedroom and some of the best things about it, it's made here in the US of A. No more going to the doctor. No more pharmacy visits. This is shipped straight to your house in a discreet package so no one knows what you're getting into. And it has the same active ingredients as Cialis and Viagra so you know it works. It's also a chewable, so it works up to twice as fast as some of the other brands. And right now, since you're a listener of Locked On, we have got a special offer just for you. All you got to do is pay the $5 shipping, head to bluechew.com, and enter the promo code LOCKEDON, and you get it shipped to you for free. So do your partner a favor in the bedroom. Look it up, bluechew.com, B-L-U-E, chew.com. They're cheaper, faster, and the better option, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we left with kind of talking about these new coordinators and Sean McVay kind of putting the Rams on his back and saying, this is me that's going to be driving this train. And an interesting thing that we've talked a little bit about over the past week or so is uh, the news that came out that Sean McVay's not bringing these new coordinators to the combine. I want to hear your thoughts. Obviously, as a scout, as someone that's been around and understands what's going on at the combine, is that a big deal to leave them at home? He said they can have better use with their time getting familiar with the system. Is it, is it kind of interesting or is this, again, McVay maybe getting ahead of the curve of the NFL? I go back to that preseason uh, where he decided not to sit a lot of starters, and now that's kind of becoming a thing. Your thoughts on leaving coordinators at home for the draft combine? Hmm. Uh, to be honest, I hadn't heard that news until you sprung it on me right now. And I'm going to be driving to the combine on Monday. I'll be there for six nights, and uh, it's a blast. But I got to tell you, Almost everyone in the NFL world is going to be there. I mean, if you work for a team in the football area at all, you are in Indy. It's interesting, though, because I come from a scouting background, and in a way, the scouts' jobs are almost done in that all the football's been played. Joe Burrow's not going to throw another pass. You know what I mean? Like, the Senior Bowl is done. All the football is in the books and now you look at these testings and com and you know medical and to make sure what you saw on tape adds up. So it's kind of a cross check. But then in a way the scouting world goes, "Oh no, now the coaches get involved." You know, like <laughs> the tight end coach, <laughs> right? I mean, especially if you're like in the Super Bowl, you were busy trying to win the Super Bowl, so the tight ends coach for the Chiefs just got involved saying, "Look at all these guys. He's going to have his own opinion on 15 tight ends and he's going to think he can turn every great athlete into a great player because he's such a great coach. It's just a different set of eyes to look at things. So the whole scouting evaluations get flipped on their head. But I'm sitting here thinking as you sprung that news on to me, maybe you just leave the coordinators out of it. You know, go coordinate, go learn yeah. your system. You know, where the do you know if the position coaches are going? Because I think if, if the, the position coaches weren't going, I would have a problem with it because I want my O line coach to see these guys up close. From my understanding, it's just going to be McVeigh and Les Snead. Again, they keep things close to their chest, so we'll see how much we actually know about this. And maybe it's something we look okay. to loop back with you, and maybe you see some of these guys around. Um, but the other coach that's doing this, it sounds like Broncos Vic Fangio is also kind of leaving his coordinators at home as he goes out to the combine. Uh, and it kind of shows again, you talked about it, we talked about it in the first segment as McVay taking ownership on his back and looking over the last couple of years, Absolutely. it's been McVay and Snead making a lot of these decisions. And yes, maybe back in the day, Wade Phillips kind of said, hey, I like this guy, he fits into my system. But for the most part, those guys have taken you know the reins and run with it. And as you said, a lot of the ta tape's done. So 
maybe these guys are spending their time evaluating um, that tape back at home and, like you said, getting familiar with the system. But I thought it was interesting because, again, it's a little different. And as you mentioned, you're heading up there soon. Everyone in the world, in the football world, is heading up there soon. So a little interesting that, especially with these new coordinators, that McVay decided to kind of leave them at home. But we'll see how it shakes out. And, and obviously, he'll play through the draft, and, and we can talk about this and, and revisit it and to see if it was a good move. Uh, uh, but I thought that was interesting and, and uh, you know, only two coaches that Real we quick, know of. Though, yeah. I mean- I do think it's noteworthy, though, like the more the older I get and the more detached I am from teams and the more media driven I am. I mean, I often say people say, wow, you must learn so much at the combine. I'm like, I learn more. I I know less about what goes on in the testing when I'm at the combine than when I was home watching on NFL Network, because, you know, I don't go in and watch them. And my point is, I'm not sure that being there all these guys with their old school stopwatches timing forties when right. there's a digital time that everybody knows, like, is this really great work you know, use of our time to watch guys do verticals and bench press, as opposed to getting the number electronically sent to your phone a second later. Oh, that's is a great point. And it's funny because and the all the drills are become, videoed. Yeah. Everything's become so, you know, nationally media covered that the average fan can just turn on the TV and watch it. So you're right. Is there a necessary um, need for those guys to be there? Or like you said, can they watch this, keep some of this information coming up as it comes, as well as dive into what they did against real competition and going into some of the film. So uh, we'll see. Maybe this is something in the next couple of years that we see as the information is so easy to get that maybe some of these coaches will be left home. But always interesting as McVeigh is trying to shake things up a little bit. And and as we kind of talk about shaking things up, this is another question I have for you is really, uh, you know, looking at this and we talked about here we are in this world in the offseason where all the rumors come, all the questions, all the creative solutions of how to do it. We know the Rams don't have a ton of money. Uh, but I've seen ideas, everything from, of course, going back to the trading Gurley, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, Brandon Cooks, most of them offensively as far as the Rams look to move some of their big contracts. But uh, do you think this offense has what it takes already on the roster to get it you know, turned around in 2020? Or do you think they need to shake it up a little bit? It all comes down to the offensive line for me. I mean, if you're looking for cap space, I think Clay Matthews is a guy that could get cut. But that only saves you a little under four. Originally, all year, I kind of thought Brandon Cooks was a foregone conclusion not to be back. You know, you have Reynolds. Uh, you can play a, certainly a lot more double tight end sets, which I think is probably in the mix no matter what. But I've seen no one say that Brandon Cooks is a surefire cap hit or cap you know release guy. And I honestly don't know what he would say if I don't have that in front of me. Maybe you do. I think you're married to Gurley. I mean, that that to me was not a, an advantageous contract. The, the second Second contract for running backs is a slippery slope, and they probably signed him a year too early either anyway. I mean, I feel like Gurley and David Johnson in the division almost have to be like Brock Osweiler deals. Like, hey, take <laughs> right. Todd, and we'll give you a fifth. You know, don't give us anything right. back, you know. So I think you're stuck with those guys in some way. Yeah, I think so too. And, and for Brandon Cooks, I mean, his – uh, cap hit is, you know, t- dead money is $29 million. So again, unless someone comes and does an amazing deal, like you said, the Brock Osweiler deal, where they're saying, hey, we'll take out all the money. Uh, here's a, a late pick. But again, I almost think the production of what he can bring when he's healthy is better than that. So maybe you hold on to those guys and just try to fix it 
in-house. A few of the other guys that are interesting, uh, you mentioned Clay Matthews, and he's... De- the O-line needs attention. O-line though. needs attention, and that's why, you know, as we talk about coming into this era of the cap casualty in these next couple weeks, uh, Nicole Roby Coleman might save you around $4 million. He's a great player, but you've seen depth at that position with Troy Hill and what he's done, and if you don't want to cut Nicole Roby Coleman, Troy, Mi- Troy Hill will save you $2 million. Uh, Samson Ibukum saves you about $2 million. Malcolm Brown saves you a million. I don't know how much you really want to start, you know, cutting, but at the same time, if you're looking and you want to keep Gurley and you drafted when moved up and got Henderson, uh, maybe you say, Hey, this is a two running back system and, and we don't have enough carries to hand around as we saw. So, uh, Josh Reynolds, another guy you mentioned, he's a $2 million, uh, you know, money that we could save as far as cutting him. He's the fourth wide receiver. He did come into play at times during the season, uh, when we had some injuries, but maybe you're looking to say, hey, we could draft a guy a lot cheaper and fit him into that system. So a few guys there on the bottom half, but the top half, you're right, pretty locked into it. So there's a little fat there you could trim, but you better yeah. count those third, fourth round picks that they always have so many of. They better start hitting on those guys, though. Exactly. You're going to need to plug and play a lot of those guys in the third round. So you mentioned the O-line. I want to get to that next because that is a big question for the Rams and how they get it done. So we got more coming up with Matt Williamson on the other side. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. So the O-line, it's probably outside of Todd Gurley, the biggest story uh, here in Los Angeles. Everyone wants to always talk about Todd Gurley and his knee and, and you know, what's going to happen. But the O-line is that second big glaring issue. Um, still questions about Andrew Whitworth coming back. Those haven't been answered. If he comes back, it helps. It definitely helps. If he leaves completely, maybe goes play somewhere else. Uh, now you're talking about even more work to be done on that O-line. Uh, I know it's a deep class in the draft. Rams don't pick till the second round. Uh, do you see them trying to go first pick in that draft uh, offensive line? Or are there guys that are going to be cap casualties out there in the NFL that might be a good fit in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a few. O-line's a rough business to be in, especially without a first-round pick. And maybe you can get an, you know some interior help in the second round. But generally speaking, and this class seems similar, I, I think the tackles will be pretty dried up by then. Um I, I, I see other, I mean, to me, if you don't bring, I know you we're not talking linebackers at the moment, but if Littleton isn't back, I mean, linebackers probably as big a need, as much time as they play as an active guy in the middle of the field as the offensive line, Whitworth to me is the key. And I know that t- money's tight, but I would actually consider franchising him for one more year 
Is mm-hmm. he one of the five best tackles in the league or anything? No, but I think you can get one more high-quality year out of him. I thought he played well. I'm sure there's leadership there, and he may retire. I mean, who knows? But, I mean, I think you kind of beg him to come back. I like Noteboom a lot. We haven't seen much of him, but I think he's somebody on the roster that could help. Yeah, you mentioned Noteboom, and and that is someone that has been forgotten here. I mean, obviously went down with the injury earlier in the season, and good news, at least for Ram fans, is it it sounds like Andrew Whitworth wants to get it done here in Los Angeles. He did kind of mention that he wants to play more. His kids want to see him play again. Um, and it's really kind of, you know, where else you want to go to try to chase a championship? You set up your family here, yeah. but hopefully they can get, you know, like you mentioned, a one-year deal that they have to tag them. I think hopefully you, you hope you can get them on, you know, hey, come on, a full friendly deal to close out the, the year for you. But um, you're right, Littleton, it, a lot goes on him as much as Andrew Whitworth on the offensive line because if he leaves, all of a sudden it opens up a lot. Dante Fowler's another guy, you know, if he goes, uh, you might want to look at edge in the draft. Uh, so there's a lot of moving pieces here, and I think you've really got to get it done with Littleton. What he did, um, you know, even on special teams in the past few years has been amazing. And with Weddle gone, he was the signal caller the year before. He had the green sticker on his helmet. So now you're looking to replace not only a middle linebacker, your signal caller. You're looking at a bunch of different things. Michael Brockers is probably gone, depending on his price. So uh, you talk about that leadership, even going back to Whitworth. Uh, it is a big, you know, big worry. We talked earlier about the draft, and I want to get back to it a little bit here. One other question before we do, I apologize. But, I mean, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but Blake Bortles is a free agent. You know, like, that's a lot of money. You know, I mean, backup quarterbacks aren't cheap. If you're going to bring him back, it eats into your cap. I mean, people don't think about those things. But guys like him or whoever you're going to have backup golf probably is going to be pretty expensive, too. Right. And that's that's another great point is, you know, do you want to, you know, are, do you trust golf enough to stay healthy to go maybe find a guy in the draft out here? You have a lot of big John Wolford fans. He's, uh, you know, on our special team or on our practice squad. Um, and I don't know if he's got an opportunity to slide up and be the cheap option. And, and then you're worried about, OK, if he does get hurt. Uh, but you're right. Or do you spend a late draft pick on a guy? Uh, that you could bring in and develop a little bit. But you're right. That is always those little things. When you're thinking about the money, Rams have about $20 million right now. How does it get eat up along the way? Uh, It goes fast, especially when you're looking at a guy like Andrew Whitworth and Corey Littleton, and they're getting a little bit bigger dollars than the rest of them. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And then with this draft, they've got six picks right now. They'll maybe get another one, as I believe the compensatory picks are going to be released a little bit later. I think it's Friday. It's right before the combine. Yep. Okay, awesome. So I'm expecting probably some something from Roger Saffold. We won't see one from uh, Lamarcus Joyner as he got injured and didn't play much for the Raiders. But uh, going in with seven picks, maybe eight if they get lucky on one of the other ones. Uh, you talked about some of the needs there. Do they trade back and keep trying to collect, as you mentioned, they've done over the past, or or do they look to maybe compile and move up for maybe that big, you know, maybe a earlier star to plug right away? I mentioned to start the show that their roster building strategy is really unlike anyone else in the league. I mean, it's so star driven, but the average nine picks over the last 17 drafts, and certainly, I mean, that's not the same regime, but it's still the same philosophy is something I think is going to hold true. So I think they'll consider trading back. I mean, I think their drafts in a way, this is really smart. sounds like I'm bashing them, but I'm not because even the best drafters, hit 500, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm a really good drafter and you're not. So I get 55% and you get 50. I mean, like what's the difference? And I mean, it really isn't that big a deal. 
And so their drafting is all about volume. You know, we're going to bring in a ton of guys. And if we hit 40% because we don't have a high pick, but we have two extra picks, let's do it. You know, and I, and I absolutely think like linebacker and certainly offensive line, let's draft three linemen, you know, a second rounder, a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder. And if two of them hit, we did well. Yeah, and it's funny, Les Snead said it himself last year, his goal for last year's draft was as many picks in the top 100. That was his sweet okay. spot, he figured, yeah. and trying to get that. So you assume with where he's at right now and the roster needs that we just talked about that he's going to find a way to try to do that as well. So maybe there's, you know, in that second round, they're at number 52, maybe they could slide back uh, late in that round and pick up a third and, and kind of do that process over again. We saw that multiple times. They had four trades uh, on the second day last year, uh, and then it ended up netting them Daryl Henderson. So they've been really creative when it comes to it, and we'll see if Les Snead uh, and Sean McVay do it again. One last question before we get out of here. Uh, we had our Ultimate Crossover Series just recently and had all the hosts here. We were talking about, as it sits right now, where do the Rams kind of fall in this division? We had answers all over the board. I had them coming in around second right now. I still need to see what, as we mentioned, what they're going to do with some of these moves uh, to kind of kind of take over the 49ers, but we had them as low as last in this division, third. I think they came in in almost every single place uh, in this division. So as you look at it, sitting right now, where do these Rams fit in this tough NFC West, uh, which is now becoming one of the better divisions in the NFL? Yeah, and it might have been the best division in the NFL this past year. I mean, it's really a good group for sure. I don't think the Niners are going away by any stretch. I mean, they may take a hit or two, and you're picking – 31. I mean, they're not picking second again, so I don't know if they'll add tons of talent, but I have a, I have a hard time picturing an offseason where I wouldn't pick the Niners to win the division. I love Kyler Murray, and I think they've really built something there. I just think they're more than a year away. I mean, you look at that the needs on that team. I mean, their defense, they can't cover anybody. They got one pass right. rusher. They got no defensive tackles. Uh, the O-lines in shambles. You know, they need another receiver. Larry can't play forever. I mean, how are you going to give Drake money and have a gajillion dollars invested at the running back position? So I still think they're swimming upstream. And in you know, long term, I think they got the right guys, but it's just too big a project to do in a year or two. And Seattle, I'm always wrong about Seattle because – I'm too logical <laughs> and I look at their roster and say, this roster isn't any good. You know, like I'd much rather have the Rams roster than Seattle's. But I also think that Russell Wilson, with all respect to Pat Mahomes, is the best player in football right now. And their coach in, is phenomenal. You know, obviously he's won a lot of games in this league. And the older I get, the more faith I put in quarterback coach combinations, you know, Breeze and Sean Payton aren't going to go six and 10 and Belichick and Brady aren't going to go six and 10. I don't care that Seattle can't rush the passer and their secondary stinks and they have no offensive line. They're still going to win 10 games because they have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. So I would th say that's a coin flip for who's second in the division, but I always get to see what's wrong. I know. And that's the, that's the frustrating thing about them is you look at their roster, as you mentioned, and then even going back to last year, they were nine and one in one, in one possession games. They won those right. close games. You're looking in the like, next I'm season. I'm a big believer in the football outsiders thing that, you know, one possession games is, is going to retreat to the mean unless you have Russell Wilson. Right. And that is the frustrating thing about it is because they have him, and he tends to be yeah. uh, the difference maker in a lot of those games and, and then throw in, 
Uh, Pete Carroll, as you mentioned, coaching those guys up, even taking lesser talent and almost making them believe that they belong there. Uh, and you've seen them get it done, even if it is in close games. So they could even take that step back and, and you know, give up that second spot. But then again, they could be right there again and winning those close games. So this division's a bunch of fun to watch. And as you mentioned, even Kyler yes. Murray and those group coming up and really making a run for it. I, I agree with you. I think they're still, you know, a year off and they've got to put it together. But in this division, we saw last year with the Niners go from four wins, make it click right away. Yes, they had some really good additions. So we'll see what, you know, Arizona can do this offseason. As you mentioned, they're strapped a few places. But uh, it's going to be a fun division to watch. I can't wait to uh, loop back with you maybe sometime after the draft and talk about, one, how the draft went from your experience and and then kind of how it looks after, you know, these teams have added some new players. So, Matt, I appreciate it so much you joining us here. Uh, guys, make sure to go check out the Locked On NFL podcast uh, it's Matt Williamson and a guy we know familiar here, Brian Peacock from Lockdown 49ers, joins them as well. So give, go give them a listen. Uh, they're going to be having some awesome coverage leading up to this combine, through the combine, and into the draft. So, Matt, we appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again. Absolutely. Th- thanks so much. This was a blast. With that said, Rams Nation, you know what it is. Until next time, peace. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.